0: That you can't condemn socialism? I mean, in your opening remarks, you were talking about Putin, Kim Jong-un, and, and Z. You know what they all have in common, right? Trump. <laughs> Trump? <laughs> North, North Korea, China, and Russia? He loves Kim Jong-un. Have you a statement that you think I, you would take over these private businesses? I'm not a socialist. Businesses? I'm a capitalist. But for me, I believe that that man had been white, you wouldn't have beat him like that that night. Uh, but I do think that the evacuation was, uh, you know, a tremendous humanitarian achievement for the many lives that were saved. this circuit, You did not disclose that the FBI also searched the president's former private office here in Washington. Do the American people have a right to know about that?
1: I think we've been pretty transparent from the very beginning with providing information as it uh, occurs throughout this uh, process. Total number of documents bearing classified markings that have been turned up in the That's That's a good question. I think that that's probably more appropriate question for the Justice Department. What is the current number of documents bearing classified markings that have been found in the President's residences and offices?
0: I would refer you to the White House Counsel's office.
1: And Ian just declined to comment on that as well. Well, can uh, anyone at the White House tell the National Archives at any point not to issue a press release about the discovery of classified documents? I would I would really refer you to the White House Counsel. I'm wondering how the White House can claim that they are being transparent when the FBI search of the Penn Center, Penn Biden Center. That happened months ago was not proactively disclosed to the public. And what should the public take away from the fact that you are keeping information like this from the
0: public? Look, I'm going to be uh, very prudent from here. I'm going to be very consistent from here. Uh, I'm just not going to comment.
1: As if you needed more proof that we really and truly are living in a clown world. This is just from this week. You know, you could produce that, that kind of a montage every other day. And there she is talking. This is the White House spokesperson saying she's prudent and she's consistent and she's not going to answer. Well, she has been consistent uh, on that. That's for sure. You're listening to Stephen Fleury, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining us today. As you know, if you're a regular viewer, you can get to our live stream, our live video stream of this show through the website. That would be thetrumpet.com. Just go to thetrumpet.com forward slash live, and it takes you straight to this page where you can get the live stream at 11 a.m. in the central time zone of the United States. The 800 number, if you request any of our literature, that's one 930 3024 You saw Mad Maxine there at the start of that, uh, that montage talking about how that North Korea, Russia, China, what do they have in common? Trump! Of course, it's Trump. There was a story just yesterday about Maxine's daughter, who made uh, $192,000 for, uh, I think, sending out some mailers for campaigns, that sort of thing. I mean, she's making pretty good money. All the don- You wonder how these politicians and their families get filthy rich, On, uh, They have a pretty good salary, as it is. I mean, more so than most ordinary Americans. But certainly not enough, as far as the government salary goes, not enough to become filthy rich, to become millionaires many times over, like the Pelosi's, the Schumer's, the Romney's. You go right down the list. These career certainly the Biden's. The Biden's, the Clintons, the Obama's, I mean, they're leading the pack. Tens of millions, hundreds of millions. But here's Maxine's daughter, $192,000 she made over the course of a year and a half, I believe it is, for some campaign work. That's how that it works. You see, everybody's on the dole. Everybody gets some of the, everybody gets a piece of the pie, for sure. And yet, the, the, as I've said this week, the only one among all of them who is pure evil through and through that would be Donald Trump, the, the one who never did take a salary from the government in his four years in office. That's pretty amazing. So here they are, going back to that montage and the French lady uh, saying that she had, uh, basically she couldn't answer. you got to go to White House counsel. you got to check with the DOJ over here. They just won't. They know, you see, the House committee. The House, the Republicans now control the House, so they know that the investigations are going to ramp up into the Biden crime family, and so they're scurrying. They're trying to get out ahead of what they know is coming. Of course, there's uh, there's many in the Barack Obama uh, in the Barack Obama government that want to get rid of Biden now, and perhaps even Kamala, as I said yesterday. But the Justice Department, they carry out this. I guess you can't call it a raid because it was consensual. Right. The, uh, the FBI was working together with the Biden attorneys three months on. I guess this is three months after they searched the Penn Biden Center at the University of Pennsylvania. And so this and that was covered up conveniently enough until after until after the midterms and the White House was behind it. That's right. So they search another residence. They don't find anything. There, as far as classified documents go, but uh, according to Bloomberg, they did review materials and handwritten notes from Biden's time as vice president. I think it was Jesse Waters last night who said that if they're looking through notes and things that aren't even classified, well, is this investigation bigger than just the classified documents? I think what we're beginning to see here, again, they know the heat is on now because of the House committee that's going to be looking into these things. But what we're beginning to see is these two, the classified documents, and then, of course, Hunter's laptop and all the crimes on that laptop. Hundreds of them, in fact. I'll get to this in just a second. But we're beginning to see these two stories merge together. Pay to play. It's all there on the laptop. And then what were they? What were they giving to China? Speaking of China and North Korea and Russia, what sorts of secrets or favors were being given for all of those those millions and millions of donations, millions of dollars? According to the House Oversight Committee, the National Archives prepared a press statement uh, about the November 2022 search of the Penn Biden Center. But the White House, this is according to the House Oversight Committee, the White House or the DOJ suppress the statement. Don't release the statement. Let's keep that under wraps for now. But now you see, and it just happens to coincide with the Republicans gaining a majority in the House. All of this, as I say, the indication is it's, it's, it's coming together, these two. This is from The Hill. It says lawyers for Hunter, Hunter Biden are requesting that federal and state investigators look into... Those who accessed, accessed, sorry, the, the spread of his personal data from his stolen laptop. This is a pretty significant story because, as the article goes on to point out, it's the first time that the Biden team has actually admitted that, well, yeah, it, it, it actually was Hunter's laptop. And so now they're going on the offensive saying, those people like Giuliani and others that took the information, that was my information. They stole my information and then they distributed it to the Daily Mail or the New York Post or wherever it went. Can you believe these people? It's taken them this long. And of course, who can forget Joe Biden, the big guy, saying during the debate, no, that's 51 intel officers have signed off on the fact that this is Russian disinformation. In other words, it's not even my son's laptop. That's what Joe Biden said. The sitting fake president of the United States. He said it two years ago, more than two years ago. He lied. He lied. Everyone knows it now. So here comes the Biden team, unbelievably, and says, yeah, it was Hunters, but uh, who, who was Rudy Giuliani to steal it? Or this technician at the Delaware shop? It says here, the letters to the attorney general of Delaware. The, the Department of Justice and the IRS allege that a number of right-wing figures trafficked the information that was stolen from Biden's laptop and used it to weaponize attacks against him and his family. So now they're arguing that the content was stolen. This laptop, even though it was right there in the agreement, if you don't come and, if you don't come and retrieve your, your computer after such and such months, then it's, then it's mine. And that shop owner, to his credit, he turned it over to the authorities, to Bill Barr and the FBI. And guess what happened? Nothing. I mean, this has been, what, four years they've been sitting on this? And only now, only now do they seem like they're getting a little bit more serious with the investigation. Because they know. They know what's coming. They know what the House is prepared to do. Listen to this. It says, it is the first time Biden's legal team has publicly acknowledged that it was his personal data that was found on the abandoned laptop at a Delaware repair shop. It says the offensive against his agitators marks a new strategy in Biden's legal maneuvers as House Republicans have teed up their investigations into the president's son. So they're never one to, to take it sitting down, these Marxist radicals. They're, they're going to go on the offensive. You can, you can count on that. And so here they are trying to turn it back on Rudy Giuliani and others like him as if they're the bad guys. And, the, and yet there's all these crimes right there on the computer. And the DOJ has known about it. Bill Barr knew about it. Chris Ray knows about it. They all know. They knew it was legit. From day one, this is from the New York Post, it says a Hunter Biden email sent to an American aluminum uh, company And promising information on Russian oligarchs is raising fresh concerns about the first son's access to classified documents recently discovered in his father's Wilmington, Delaware home as lawmakers prepare to investigate allegations of influence peddling. They're investigating it now. Lawmakers, it's taken this long because you've had people like Maxine Waters just shouting, covering up the truth and shouting from the rooftops, Trump, 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 Trump. That's all we've heard. For years, it says documents dating back to 2011 on his notorious laptop from you know where showed Hunter offered to sell intelligence on Russian oligarchs to the U.S. aluminum firm Alcoa for $55,000 according to the post-exclusive October 2021 report. This was going on so many years ago, years and years, selling state secrets to this company or that company in return for money. Pay to play. Pay to play. The Biden crime family. It's all starting to connect together, isn't it? It's taken, it's taken years, though, for this to happen. This is from Fox News. It says President Biden needs to set up a firewall between him and and first son Hunter Biden's legal woes as his allies weigh a legal defense fund for the younger Biden. Law professor and former President George W. Bush's chief White House ethics lawyer, Richard Painter, told Fox News Digital. So they're suggesting that the fake president distance himself from the smartest man he's ever met, his son Hunter. Listen to this from, uh, this is from Joe Biden and also from Ron Klain. He's stepping down as the White House chief of staff. Uh, But listen to these two together, these clips, clip two. You know that the people who want to make hay in Washington are going to try to use your adult son as a cudgel against you. How do you feel about that? And what do you have to say to those people? I have, we have great confidence in our son. Uh, I am not concerned about any accusations that been made against him. It's used to get to me. I think it's kind of foul play, but uh, look, it is what it is. And uh, he's a grown man. He is the smartest man I know. I mean, in pure intellectual capacity. Um, and, uh, and as long as he's good, we're good. And so I just want to say this one thing today. I learned everything I know about how to be a good father from Joe Biden. He is the best father I know and the best role model I know. What is going on that this family would be held up as a model family? We don't even, there's lots of things in this laptop that we don't even want to get into or discuss. It's so perverse. And yet there. And, and what is it with these officials in their 60s, government leaders that just cry at the drop of a hat? They start bawling. Joe Biden is the greatest father he's ever known? Hunter Biden is the smartest guy that the president of the United States has ever met as far as intellectual capacity? Are these people serious? It really and truly is a world in which the the clowns run the show. And they say it with a straight face, and sometimes tears are just streaming down their face as they peddle these lies. Marco Polo, this is at Substack, says for the past 13 months, Marco Polo, a nonprofit research group comprised of six men from across the U.S. dedicated to exposing corruption and blackmail, has been writing a comprehensive report on the Biden laptop and the crimes thereon. The report is simple but dense, 630 pages, 2,000 footnotes, broken up neatly into seven sections, with the highest focus being on business-related crimes. According to this group, this nonprofit, there's 459 violations of state and federal laws found on Hunter Biden's laptop. Laws broken. Laws broken by the Biden crime family. 459, including 140 business crimes, 191 sex offenses, and 128 drug crimes. It's all there on, this, on the, the computer. It's all there on the laptop. And now the Biden team, just yesterday, turns on a dime. Let's go after the ones that took that. That was my information. They stole that from me. All these, evi- all these evidences of crimes. I mean, you can't make this up. Hundreds and hundreds of violations. Laws broken. And yet people can sob in front of the camera and lie to you and say, this is, this is really a perfect family, a model family. It's exactly the opposite. But they lie as a way of life. They just continue lying, just like, just like the father did, the big guy did, during the debate. And Donald Trump, he was shaking his head. Are you seriously going to say this, this too Is the Russia boogeyman? Is is Russia how you answer everything now? That was in the debate leading up to the presidential election that they stole in November of 2020. They stole it in so many different ways, didn't they? The cover-up, the FBI meddling, big tech, big tech, the machines, as Mike Lindell continually reminds us of, the machines, all of the fake ballots, All of the ballots that showed up in the dark of night. The five-day process for counting as opposed to an election day. It was election week. And then the media, of course the media, anointing Joe Biden as president. that Saturday evening. Five days. Five days after the election. The Washington Post, we wrote about this yesterday in our morning brief but just the title. <laughs> the title speaks for itself. Um, but I'll read from it. It's a, it's a column that was at The Washington Post. Amid all the profound challenges and changes roiling the American news media today, newsrooms are debating whether traditional objectivity should still be the standard for news reporting. Newsrooms! Journalists! He's, he's not talking. I mean, this is a columnist. This is an editorial, I suppose. there's some opinion here, but he's talking about how that newsrooms are debating whether or not they should be objective anymore. Well, at least they're admitting. there was a time, not that long ago, when they they sort of praised themselves as being, you know, above the fray, we're just looking at it objectiv- We We have perfect objectivity. We're just reporting the facts, right? What was the title of this article, Richard? Posted it in his uh, brief. Newsrooms that move beyond objectivity can build trust. Let's move beyond. This is truly Orwellian, isn't it? Let's move beyond objectivity and really try to insert opinion and bias. Then people can really trust us. Then they can know that we're just giving them the straight-up truth. It says here, increasingly, reporters, editors, and media critics argue that the concept of journalistic objectivity is a distortion of reality. They point out that the standard was dictated over decades by male editors in predominantly white newsrooms and reinforced their own view of the world. So we've got to strive for something that's, well, not so white-centric or, or that's so centered on you know a male-dominated field. Things have changed, after all. So objectivity is not necessarily the goal here anymore. This is the Washington Post. Here's another one from Issues and Insights, basically showing how the newsrooms have just become uh, Democrat agencies or producing newsletters for the Democrat Party. It says here, the media's leftward bias has been obvious for decades, even as journalists denied their alignment with the Democratic uh, Party. It says Tuesday's headline in the Daily Caller, so I mentioned the Washington Post, Uh, Newsrooms that move beyond objectivity can build trust. That's the Washington Post. And then the the Daily Caller, major news outlets say that they're ditching objectivity in the name of diversity. So we've got to be diverse. (laughs) This is serious. I'm, I'm not making this up. This is not a Babylon Bee headline. It's from the Daily Caller. It says here, the story beneath the headline tells us that after interviewing more than 75 media leaders to gauge how the industry views the concept of objectivity, a couple big names in the press offered some guidelines for their colleagues. The pair argued, said the Daily Caller, that journalists should include their own beliefs, biases, and experiences to convey truth, and that journalistic objectivity was either unrealistic or undesirable. See, really, they, they took off the mask when Donald Trump, when the bad orange man came into office, who can forget, you know, Jim Acosta and others in those White House press briefings, just completely attacking the president of the United States. And then he's, of course, blotted out from social media. And, and they, they, I mean, they did it without apology. We've got we've to delete him. We've got to censor him. Now, I mean, we're two years after. Donald Trump left office, and now they're coming right out and admitting it. Yeah, th- this is actually, I mean, this is actually our goal, our objective here. It says, it says here, the two men who made the recommendations, former Washington Post executive editor Leonard Downey Jr. and former CBS News president Andrew Hayward. CBS, CBS, uh, Washington Post, they all agree this is the way forward. It says here, the media are so, this is Issues and Insights, the media are so obviously operatives of the Democratic Party that it only stands to reason that the election benefit has since grown. Just look at the 2020 presidential outcome, which punished the country with a Joe Biden win. That victory was made not possible but probable by more than four years of the press lying about Donald Trump's connection with the Russians. Yes, the media might be unhinged from reality, but they are tightly hinged to the Democratic Party. Tightly hinged, all in it together, for sure. And they have a few, you know, rare voices that will speak the truth, that will give you the truth about the Uniparty. It's interesting, even Tucker, I think this is clip, uh, clip one, fellows, but Tucker, uh, last night, he was talking about how the, his show had had offered Boris Johnson, I guess he, the former PM from the UK, he's visiting the United States, he's here to talk about Ukraine and how important it is to, uh, to support that war effort against Russia. Um, and Tucker offered him the opportunity to come on his show and to explain uh, his cause and, and perhaps have a bit of a debate on uh, how, many, <laughs> how much we should support that war effort. Uh, and in the end, in the end, Boris Johnson declined. But listen to this, this clip that Tucker captured. I think it was from yesterday. And then uh, you get a little bit of Tucker's commentary together with it, clip one. So that was our experience with Boris Johnson yesterday. Given all that, we were shocked, actually shocked, this afternoon to see Johnson show up at a neocon think tank called the Atlantic Council and say this. I've been amazed and horrified by how many people uh, are are frightened of a guy called Tucker Carlson. Has anybody heard of somebody called? Has anybody heard of Tucker Carlson? What's what is it with this guy? Uh, All these all these wonderful Republicans seem somehow intimidated by his uh, by his perspective. All these cowards in Washington are afraid of this show, Boris Johnson said derisively. Yet somehow he never mentioned that he is one of them. Again. We had just invited Johnson on this show hours before he said that. It was remarkable and remarkably dishonest. We knew that Johnson himself was a coward. We watched during COVID as he transitioned into a terrified old woman. But we had no idea he was also a liar. He's like so many, I guess. It's just so easy for them to be dishonest, to pretend. The world is fake in so many ways, just like this... Latest issue of the Trumpet magazine brings out. You see there on the, the cover. It's a fake, an image that came out of a computer. That's what so much of it is. Here he, here's, he's invited to go on Tucker's show. His people decline, and then he pretends the next day like, like he doesn't even know who Tucker is. And, and why would anyone be afraid of some guy named Tucker Carlson? It is dishonest, and Tucker's right to call him out on that. It's so rare, isn't it? It's so rare for people to just set aside bias, to set aside their personal views, and to just present the truth. Look at, look at all of the messages. Some of that, of course, is, is, is being reversed now with Elon Musk in charge of Twitter. But look at all of the message. Look at all of the truth that's just been blotted out. You can't say it. You cannot say it. Or else you lose your YouTube channel. Or else you, you know, the algorithm will put you at the bottom of the search. This is from the Daily Mail, by the way. And you can see how it would tie in with what I'm just discussing here because they blot out truth, so many of these authorities. They tell you lies. They, they tell, they, it's will worship, as we've covered so many times before. And then the things that they promote, the thing, the filth that we spread. Right around the world, this is at the Daily Mail, says 1 in 10 have viewed pornography by the age of 9, more than a quarter by the age of 11. Says nearly half of 13-year-olds have seen it, more than 4 in 10, 16 to 21-year-olds, believe girls enjoy being slapped and strangled during sex. They believe this because this is what they see. This is what they see in the world of pornography. These pornographic websites that are wildly popular. 1000000s and millions and millions of people every day consuming this. And of course, it's readily available because, well, free speech. We've got to be free to speak, right? Well, in certain, in certain ways, yes. If it's filthy, if it's sinful, if it's disobedient and lawless, well, that's something that we promote. It says, parents like the idea of their children having a mobile phone so they are able to contact them to check that they're safe. It says, how ironic then that it's through their mobiles that most children access porn. Simply type sex or porn into the browser and you're bombarded by unimaginably horrific videos of men doing vile things to women with little or no control over the age of the viewer. And no demand for any payment. In a lot of ways, this is, what's, this is the content that's, that's on Hunter's laptop. And yet we get people, we get people rushing to the mic saying, that's, that's the ideal family. He's the, he's the perfect son. He's the perfect father. God takes a different view. It says here, it's two years since research carried out at Durham University's Department of Sociology uh, revealed the extent to which popular porn sites show depictions of sex acts which are criminal. It, they, people get away with it. It goes right onto the porn site. It's criminal behavior. And they get away with it. And young people get to see it. Young people get to observe it on their phones. It says its analysis of the home pages of these sites found one in eight showed what was billed as non-consensual or incestuous acts, including videos where the subjects were described as drugged, unconscious, or very young. Can you believe this sort of content is out there? You can get to it, evidently, you can get to it by the push of a button. It says here, in all my years, listen to this, this concluding point, in all my years talking to women as as a journalist for both regional TV and Southampton, and women's hour i guess this is in the uk i've never encountered a single sex worker who said she enjoyed selling her body either as a prostitute or as a porn star it says here not one was doing her job because it was pleasurable in every case they felt used abused and harmed they had no uh, they had not chosen such a career path they they feel used and abused harmed and yet it continues. And yet the filth, the vile filth, it continues to spread. It's wildly popular. Even young people are consuming it. And, and then we wonder why, why they're, they're growing up with such a distorted and perverted sense of family living, marriage, family, child rearing. It says here, a complete ban... A complete ban would not only prevent women in the porn industry from being violated with little or no recourse to justice, it would also reduce the belief by some in society that sexual violence against women is acceptable. Look, it would help. If you just, even if you just put a ban on the, the violence, the, the sexual violence that's often depicted on a website somewhere, it would help people, right? Would it, would it help or hurt society if you put a ban on this kind of thing? If you blotted out this content, would it help or would it hurt the family? Think about it. You know the answer. It says here, but no attempt to make pornography illegal has ever been successful. The industry is powerful and rich, worth an estimated $12 billion globally. And until now, the argument that a ban would threaten freedom of speech always took precedence over the simple facts that pornography damages women and puts them at risk. It says, but we're not talking speech here. We're talking recorded evidence of sexual violence. Can, can we not even remove the sexual violence from the internet? Can, can we not ban that? Wouldn't you get... Wouldn't you get a consensus of of approval to do that in, in a world like what we see today? It says here, it violates women in relationships where men think strangulation is great sex. It's time to take on the pornographers and ban them. Surely our children are worth the fight. It's a pretty good article underneath a pretty strong headline at the Daily Mail. And of course, nothing will come of it. Nothing. That kind of vile filth, as I say, it's given a platform anywhere that you look in our nations. It's promoted. It's actively promoted. It's so easy to, to access. For sure, it's easy, and it's free in a lot of cases. cheap, easy. Do it on your phone. And so many of our young people, they're getting smartphones when they're, what, eight, nine years of age. You see how dangerous those gadgets are. You see why. You need a parent, a loving parent, who's there, who's there and has enough courage to say, no, no, you're not gaining access to this, 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 and this. There was a time not that long ago when a smartphone didn't even exist. Look at, there's obviously, we make use of technology to distribute this program. Technology has its place, but look at how the devil uses it to spread to spread, in this case, violence and, and criminal activity and behavior. Paul said in Second Timothy three, in the last days, perilous times, perilous and dangerous times would come. And certainly these are the days that we're living in. If you haven't uh, requested your subscription to the Trumpet Magazine, make sure that you call our eight hundred number. Operators are standing by, one-eight six six-nine three zero 3024. This comes out 10 times a year, nearly every month in the year. You can get a free one-year subscription to The Trumpet Magazine by calling our operators today. You're listening to Stephen Fleury, and this is The Trumpet Daily. We'll be right back.
0: This is kpcg and this is The Trumpet Daily. The developed nations have made awesome progress. They have produced a highly mechanized world, providing every luxury, modern convenience and means of pleasure. Yet they are cursed with crime, violence, injustice, sickness and disease, broken homes and families. At the same time, more than one half the world is living in illiteracy, abject poverty, filth and squalor. Violence and destruction are rapidly multiplying. Many ask, why, if God exists, does He allow so much violence and human suffering? To understand the reason behind this astonishing paradox, request a complimentary copy of Mystery of the Ages. We were born into this 20th century world as it is. We take it for granted, but we can't explain it. It's like viewing a movie at a point already near the end. We see what is occurring at that point, but not having seen it from the beginning, and not knowing how events developed to the point of viewing, we simply cannot understand what we are seeing. Mystery of the Ages transports you back to the beginning of the movie, to the foundation of this present evil world. To learn more, please visit thetrumpet.com. The Trumpet Daily.
1: In uh, our study of uh, the book of Romans with the Epistles of Paul class, uh, Paul has a lot to say in that book about the faith of Abraham, particularly Romans chapter 4 if you wanted to review that on your own time. I mean, they, Abraham and his wife really did, God said, you're going to have this son, even though Abraham was not 100, I think it was, and Sarah was 90. And, of course, Sarah initially, she just kind of laughed at the prospect of having a child at that age. And yet God promised it. God said it, was ha- God said it would happen. God said it was all according to his will. And, of course, along the way, you know, as human nature can be, you can question God's wisdom or maybe try to figure out another way that this is going to unfold. There was one point, I think, in Genesis 17 where Abraham said, well, maybe this, this promise can be fulfilled through Ishmael. And God said, no, it's, it's going to come through you and, and Sarah, your wife. And, of course, she finally did give birth to Isaac later on in the, the story. And you can see there God's take in looking at the whole lifetime of growth and overcoming and submitting to the will of God. He he viewed Abraham, as Romans 4 brings out, as one that really did faithfully submit to the will of God. It says here in Romans 4, or there in Romans 4, that his faith didn't waver. He didn't stagger at the promises of God. He believed. He believed in God's promises. He staked his life on it. He strove to fulfill all of God's will. Luke chapter 11 and verse verse 2, it says here, and he said unto them, this is Christ giving instruction about prayer. He says, when you pray, say, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. That word will is defined as what one wishes or has determined shall be done so it has to do with what god wishes and with what god has determined to be done and we're to pray to that end we're to pray that god's will be done not our own will not human will we talk often on this show about will worship you can study more into that in colossians chapter 2 and it's easy it's easy to you know look at these marxist radicals And to see even even members of the media and to see how that they worship their own opinions or the opinion of their favored candidate. They do. They really and truly do worship the will of human beings. But, you know, we can be guilty of that, too, just just by going with our will above God's. Putting our will ahead of what God wants. That's will worship. It's will-worship. Now, again, it's a process of growth, and even God God worked with Abraham after making some pretty serious mistakes along the way in his long life. But it is a walk of faith, and we do have to overcome and grow, and and we have to work hard day in and day out with God's help, through prayer, through study, through Christian fellowship, through occasional fasting, to really submit ourselves to the will of God. Jesus came to fulfill all of his Father's will. That's it. That was his objective. That's what he focused on. Notice Isaiah 14 and verse 12. We'll see here, uh, firstly, the spirit behind will worship, worshiping the human will, putting the human will ahead of God's. Isaiah 14 and verse 12, it says, How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, which did weaken? the nations. How did this happen to Lucifer? How did he become Satan the devil? Well, verse 13 says, For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Two verses there, verses 13 and 14. And five times it says about Lucifer saying, I will. Lucifer wanted to put his will above God's. Even his, his own maker, Lucifer's will, was warring against the will of God. And so he fought against God. There was war in heaven. There was war in heaven again in these last days because of his obstinate, stubborn will the devils that is and that's something that we have to fight against constantly because look at what the bible says about the human heart read jeremiah 17 and verse 9 it says in verse 5 of that same passage that you come under a curse if you put your trust in man my father has made the point that that's uh, that's also true if you trust yourself if you were a man or a woman If we put our trust in ourselves, the Bible says that brings us under a curse. God wants us to put our trust in Him, to faithfully obey His laws, to to, to obey in faith even. It is possible. All things are possible with God. Notice Romans 8 and verse 7. It says, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. The carnal mind is just hostile, as the Revised Standard Version says. It's hostile to God's will. It's hostile against God and His law. Verse 20, further on, this, this passage, this wonderful chapter, it just extends right on into the universe. It's all part of the same story, though. Verse 20, it says, For the creation was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of Him who has subjected the same in hope. So we were made subject to vanity because, well, God, God made us free moral agents. We have to choose. And Satan was to be left on the throne of this earth for 6,000 years until his time is up. And he's replaced by Jesus Christ. So this is what we're fighting against, these pools of the flesh coming from the devil. And as I say, it's, just, it's so easy. To follow along according to human will and desire. Will worship. And to not subject ourselves, submit ourselves to the will of God. Pray every day that God's will be done. Even in our own lives, certainly with respect to the work. Even world events. This is, this is how Jesus said we're to pray daily. Thy will be done. Notice Ephesians 2. And verse 2, it says, Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, it says, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Herbert Armstrong in in Mystery of the Ages, he talked about how that Satan is a, a master broadcaster, how that he's surcharged the air with his attitudes and impulses. And we've got to resist against it. That's why you don't want a little child that has a a powerful tool that can just connect to to any kind of filth at the push of a button. You want to give some loving family government there. You want to apply or administer the, the family government of God to protect your children, to protect your family. Mystery of the ages, as I say, goes into quite the explanation with respect to Ephesians 2 and, and the God of this world, Satan the devil, what he's filled the airwaves with. If you don't have a copy of that, you can again call our operators and request your free copy of Mystery of the Ages, 1-866-930-3024. So Paul says here in Ephesians 2, in the past, you see, you walked according to the course of this world. You were on the same course as everyone else, just following the, the crowd, following the mob, but but now you've, you've come out of the world. Verse 3, it says, Among whom also we all had our conversation or our conduct in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. See, it's just, it's just what, what comes natural is the, the attitude of the devil. I will... I will, Isaiah 14 verses 13 and 14, we read it over and again. Lucifer said, I will be like the most high. I will see, I'm going to ascend into heaven and be above God even. That's the being who's surcharging the air, the prince of the power of the air. He's, He's filling the air with those same attitudes, with those same impulses. And look at how many people are just going right along. Radical individualism. I mean, that's the spirit of the age. Just serve yourself. Do what's right. Do what seems right in your own eyes. Notice Romans 7 and verse 18. This is a a great uh, passage here on the war of the wills. The war that's going on between human will and God's will. There's an entire chapter in our Overcomer booklet that that goes into a study of this passage and other passages of Scripture as well. But if you don't have that booklet, again, call our operators and request the Overcomer booklet. There's a chapter in there titled, The War of the Wills. It is a war. It's a battle. It's a constant battle, Mr. Armstrong said, in Incredible Human Potential. But notice verse 18 in the Revised Standard. It says, For I know that nothing good dwells within me, That is, in my flesh, I can will what is right, but I can't do it. This is Paul. He's writing many years into his apostleship, and he's acknowledging here that there's just nothing good in him. His heart. His heart was like what's described in Romans 8 and verse 7. We just read it. Paul didn't trust himself. He knew that he had to put his faith and his trust and his confidence in God, or else there was just nothing good. Verse 19, it says, For the good that I would, uh, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. See, this is why the Christian life is one of constant overcoming. This is what we have to overcome with God's help and power. This is what we have to conquer. This is what we have to put away, that, that will worship, that self-will. Verse 21 says, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. It's always there. It's so easy, isn't it, to just revert back to bad habits. It's, it's easy to revert back to you know the sins of old, maybe former addictions, whatever it is to just get immersed into the ways of this world, the sins of this world. But Paul says, look, that's what we've come out of. And we really, you can study through Romans 6 on your own time, but that's, that's something that we have to constantly bury and put away. We're crucified with Christ. We can't come into God's family and, and bring all of our sins into it as well. We have to put those away with God's help. I mean, it's a tremendous miracle, this transformation talked about in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, because it's so easy to be conformed to this world as that passage brings out. Verse 21, it says, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. It's just so easy to be held captive to sin, to the ways of sin, to the ways of this world. But with God's help and power, you can put those sins away. You can become a new man. You can live unto God. Galatians 2.19 Paul said in verse 24 here, we're still in Romans 7, He said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? How are we going to be delivered from this sinful way of living? How are we going to be rescued from this captivity? He says in verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. You see, it's only through Jesus Christ that we can control the flesh. It's only through the life, the living Christ, that we can put away the sins of the flesh, and that we can live in newness of life, that we can live pure and righteous lives. It is a process. We, we, thankfully, God gives us time to change and to overcome and to grow. But look, the times are urgent. The times are urgent in this world we're living in today. And, and this world needs, when they look at the church of God, when they look at the family of God, they need to see a righteous family. They need to see a bride, a wife, who's submitted to Jesus Christ, her husband. They need to see family living. They need to see messages that promote family. Not destroys the family institution or marriage or leaves children to just wander on their own. A child left to himself brings shame on the family. That's in the Proverbs. They need love. They need attention. They need care. They need discipline. They need teaching. They need instruction. They need God. In The Incredible Human Potential, Mr. Armstrong says, the truly converted Christian will find that he often stumbles under temptation and falls down, even as a physical child learning to walk often falls down. But the year-old child does not get discouraged and give up. He gets up and starts out again. See, none of this in this Bible segment is meant to discourage you because we do have sins that we're actively working to put away. But that's just the point. We have to be actively working to do that, to put those sins away. Otherwise, they're going to devour us. We've got to keep getting up and and just like we're learning to walk, spiritually speaking. Just like a little one-year-old child continually gets up, even after stumbling, after falling down. Mr. Armstrong says, the, the truly converted Christian is not yet perfect. God looks on the heart, the inner motive, the real intent. See, that's what God looked at when he saw Abraham. He saw a man, he looked at all of a Babylon. Who knows how long God was, was testing Abraham. Uh, Abraham before he asked him to depart from Babylon and to head into this strange land. And yet the Bible says in, in Genesis 12 that Abraham just did it. He didn't argue. He didn't answer back. He didn't hesitate. He just said, well, if this is, if this is what God wants me to do, then I'll do it. And then over the course of that lifetime, you see this, this wonderful growth. You see a man of righteousness, a man of faith. It says God looks on the heart, the inner motive, the real intent. If he's trying, if he gets up whenever he falls down, and in repentance asks God's forgiveness, and sets out to do his very best not to make that mistake again, and to persevere with renewed effort to overcome, it says God is rich in mercy toward that man in his striving to overcome. God is rich in mercy. He's eager to extend mercy and love and encouragement. It says here, I think it should be apparent by now that the newly converted Christian is not perfect all at once. He does not, must not commit sin deliberately and willfully in a spirit and attitude of rebellion. That's what he's repented of. He wants to live completely above sin. But to live perfectly would require all spiritual knowledge He would have to live by every word of the Bible. The Holy Spirit imparts spiritual perception so we can understand the Bible. And to understand all the Bible takes time. We have to grow into the knowledge of how to live perfectly without sin. He says, finally, this is the way of the Christian. You see, it's a constant battle, a constant striving against sin. And we we surely need God's help And God's power as part of that struggle, as part of that battle, as I've discussed also uh, this past week. That's all that we have time for, though, on today's show. Perhaps we can delve into this further at a later time. You are listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily, the email address if you want to submit some feedback. It's tdatthetrumpet.com. Thank you for joining us on today's show, and we'll see you tomorrow. We'll be right back. back.